0: Hey everyone, this is Matt Wakeling and you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. Hope you're doing really well. Thank you so much for joining me for our weekly interview show that drops each weekend. Of course, midweek, we've been running our Iconic Albums series as well. So I hope you're enjoying those. Hope you've been checking those out too. Now today I'm speaking to Andrew Mara of Guitar Street. Andrew is a fellow Sydney cider like myself and is doing some really interesting stuff in the Made in Japan, the vintage made in Japan area. Andrew is performing guitar rescues on some very cool guitars which might otherwise be seeing their last days. And he's also launched a really interesting YouTube series called The Tone Library, which is investigating the pickups and the stories behind the pickups of this very interesting era in guitar construction. Today's episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliot. Now Joe is not only a fantastic guitar player he draws on his years of experience as the ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and also at the McNally Smith Music College. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. You're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player? Fretboard biology is your answer fretboard biology is a self-paced college-level program that'll give you the right instruction in the right amounts and in the right order you'll learn the same information i taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges if you want to make real progress with your guitar playing then sign up for a free seven-day trial at FretboardBiology.com. all right thanks to joe and thanks to fretboard biology great sponsors of the podcast all right, onto our conversation with Andrew Mara of Guitar Street. I started out by asking how he got into the vintage, made in Japan market in the first place.
1: When I was looking to get back into guitar, and it, like I dropped it when I was left school, and then got back into it in about two thousand and seven. One of my mates, um, <clears throat> Matt Coit, said I should get a Greco instead of a Gibson, but all I wanted was a Gibson SG. Uh huh. And so I ended up buying both. And the SG was a 61 reissue, reissue, um, the Gibson, and it was a pig. Like it was an absolute dog to play. No matter how, like I had three people set it up. It never played well. It just, there was something, I, I, I couldn't tell you today what was wrong with it. It wasn't that it had fret buzz. It just felt like a pig. (laughs) <laughs> um, and it sounded like a pig, <laughs> but the Greco that I picked up for fifty dollars on eBay—oh wow—was just phenomenal. Yep. And I had it until about six months ago. It was a bolt-on neck. It had a fake, uh, fake Bigsby. Um, you know, it was one of the early Grecos, sort of nineteen seventy-two, seventy-three, um, the transition phase where they went and changed their logo but it had those early Maxon pickups and slim neck, obviously small Japanese hands for Mm -hmm. the local market, all that kind of stuff. And so it was like mid 2000s, I got into this guitar and I realized how good it was. And so I loved it to death. Fast forward 10 years and all of a sudden everyone else figures it out as well. And so I was looking to invest and get more guitars again. Um, and I was looking on eBay and I realized that these the prices of the MIJ stuff had just gone through the roof, especially, especially Greco. Uh, the, it's crazy. It's literally crazy. So last year, COVID, um, you know, the COVID tax added about 50% on the price of a, a decent EG wow. um, Greco. So you're looking at entry point of $1,000 now yeah, yeah. for a copy. And so it, it, it was this, but it was always, they're just, I hate to say it, but they really were better guitars. Um, they're, you know, not so much the Les Pauls of the early era. Um, and there's a lot of things. I think once you start going down the rabbit hole of something like that, yeah. Um, when you start getting interested and you start looking into it, it just it becomes another world and look, I've been into cars, I've been into you know, music, all that kind of stuff. And anyone who's obsessive about something gets it. Yeah, you just, yeah. all of a sudden it's, you realize the intricacies of the manufacturing process or you, you, the differences in the models and when that manufacturer got good at something or all yeah, that kind of yeah. stuff. And so, yeah, I just started working out what was good and what wasn't. And I've always, uh, Yeah, I've always loved the Japanese um, cars. Mm -hmm. So always the quality, et cetera. So it just made sense for me to, I didn't have that, I guess, rose-colored glasses for the American models where I understood that, you know, manufacturing process and and quality was going to be, I'll take something that sounds good and feels good over a badge any day of the week, especially after my... um, experience with the gibson yeah uh, in 2000 that was a 2006 so that was entering their dark period
0: okay okay that's a pretty cool ab ab test so so when you talk about greco being you know one of your main focuses can, yeah, can you yeah. give us the um the mini history of of greco in, in terms of these guitars <laughs>
1: Yeah, I can't. I can't tell you the people, but I can tell you that in the mid '70s, um, what happened in Japan was you know there was a rock explosion, right? There was a rock explosion all over the world, um, and all the kids were buying Gibsons, and but they were expensive as hell. Like J- Japan in the '70s and early '80s, um, that was where you got cheap manufacturing done. Yeah. So you think about it, uh, you know. Think about back then it wasn't japan of today it was it was a much cheaper economy and so the kids didn't have the money for gibsons and um one of the heads of the companies i can't remember it wasn't Kaioa. it was one of the other ones but um literally went up to one of their famous stars and got a Greco manufactured to look like a Les Paul, mm-hmm. um, and he played it on stage, and everyone was blown away by how it sounded. And so it kicked off this local manufacturing, really. Um, and you know, they already had Yamaha pottering along and and doing the crazy, weird-looking. <laughs> They had the, uh, I think, the Flying Banana and the Flying yeah. Samurai, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the early <laughs> awesome. SGs at the time. Yep. And, um, and then they went in there. So it was this, it started this copy era where, um, so Matsumoku was one of the manufacturing uh, plants or the, the factories that it, they did Greco. They did Aria Pro. They did um, Ibanez. They did a lot of these um, big brands. They basically did the same guitar, put a different um, logo on it, yep. slightly different specs, and spat them out much cheaper than Gibson could um, sell for. They were bolt-on. You know, they, at the beginning, they were they looked great. They really did. They looked really great. Um, they looked the looked the business. It went so far as, you know, 1977, everyone knows that Gibson filed a lawsuit against Ibanez to stop using the open book headstock and all that kind of stuff, which is why they called lawsuit guitars. But mm-hmm. they yeah. looked so good that the kids bought them. The manufacturing, not so good. Um, when you open up these early Grecos and early Aria Pros, anything built by Matsumoku in you know, the late or early 70s and mid 70s that effectively, a lot of people call them a, a semi-hollow guitar. Um, that It takes chambering to a new level. You know, oh, you, you you open it up and it's a big empty shell. There's a plywood top. It's not a carved maple top or anything beautiful okay. like that. It's a very light guitar that's very slim, obviously built for Japan. You know, the, the kids weren't, big kids, they were little Japanese kids, had smaller hands. So they built the guitars around them, they were lighter, but they had these amazing pickups. So they sounded good and the resonance was good because they were, they they probably had two centimeters of space between the body and the arch or the, the plywood tops, okay. you can tap them and they're, they're hollow. Wow. Um, and the resonance was amazing. And so that that sort of kicked off this lawsuit era and everybody was, you know, people were... Yeah. There was an American company importing Ibanez and there was a lot of sort of groundswell around the manufacturing and, and the quality of these guitars. Um, and somewhere around 78, 79, Oh, sorry, 1975. In 1975, um, Greco moved from Matsumoku to Fujigen. Oh, so okay. Fujigen yeah. is, you know, it's mecca. When you come, come to Japanese manufacturing, It's it really is the mecca. They are contracted to do Fender still. Yep. You know, they're, they're, they are the um, best manufacturer in Japan. So they moved to, to Fujigen. Um, And you started getting much better quality. They went from um, bolt-on necks to set necks. Mm -hmm. um, And that's where it really sort of shot up. Somewhere around 1980, um, they stopped doing any chambering in the top and it became solid bodies. And that's uh, what I've read is that they managed to finally get their hands on a, a, a burst so someone at Fuji Gen or someone in in Greco and and, and the likes got their hands on a fifty nine burst or you know late fifties these things are you know mahogany
0: yeah you know yeah.
1: carved maple top with uh-huh. mahogany and wow okay this is the the neck profile and all of a sudden you the, this resurgence came through um, so Tokai came out with the LS series um, and that was the first really like almost identical, if you think retro um, retrofitted guitar looked exactly like one of the old Gibsons. Uh And that sort of shook that whole industry up and they went, oh my God, okay, we can do this. We can make copies like that are really good. Um, And so then Greco came out and they had the super real series. Um, So if anyone's ever looking in the market for a Greco um, and they want, a really good Les Paul, entry-level EG500, go past 1980 and you'll find Super Real. Um, and somewhere I think 1982 is the Mint collection and that's where it gets phenomenal. Okay. So in that period there, you've just got these stunning guitars and they just, today, like I, I still pick them up and I'm just floored by how good they are, awesome, um, especially man. compared to what, Gibson was producing in the Norlin era. You know, they had pancake bodies and all that kind of stuff yeah, versus yeah. these phenomenal one piece guitars that just it it's a
0: really interesting historical time, isn't it? Because Gibson and Fender, then they're, they're not putting out their best work at
1: this stage. No, exactly. CBS destroys Fender and then you know yep. Norland era comes in and and the quality goes right down for Gibson. So you've got this local market pumping out these phenomenal copies and no one was going to pay the premium for the gibsons at the time um in that local market and obviously we got in australia we got access to the japanese um copies because we weren't it wasn't illegal to buy them or import them and, yeah
0: okay.
1: yeah it really it, it was a phenomenal time it's there's just so many great guitars that came out of then. Um, but the interest is really sort of swelled at the moment to the point where it it started to become a bit a little bit too expensive to get into collecting them right a little bit too yeah they're a little bit too expensive now um there was one going the other day on the auctions it was an eg 1200 so top of the range um, mint collection um Greco and it was sitting at two and a half thousand US dollars with three days to go in wow. the auction wow and you do the yeah you do the conversion on that and it's you start realizing you you're hitting silverburst mm-hmm. territory you know you're looking at a 1981 silverburst which is by the way my that's my goal one day is to own a, a genuine vintage silverburst like adam jones you know okay okay nice it, it, yeah it's gonna it's and you you look at that and you think well would i really spend that kind of money for i get that it is collectible i get that it is yeah, a japanese yeah. copy and it's phenomenal but yeah. it's a japanese copy of something and when i'm looking at that price premium I, I might as well just go into the real thing
0: yeah sure sure so you're talking about like post 1980 greco yeah. being being a, a really important time are there are there other brands made from those factories then i know you mentioned the tokai yeah
1: yeah absolutely so you get the yeah the tokai or the tokai i've never under, i don't know how to pronounce that so someone will shoot me somewhere um bernie um yeah, so yep. fernandez bernie was being made by the fernandez the VH1 pickups that they had in the 80s uh, i think it was around about 1984 85 that was the real sweet spot for, for Bernie. And they were making, much like Greco had the Randy Rhodes models and, and stuff. You, you have these beautiful off-white sort of um, custom models coming out with these beautiful ballsy path pickups. Mm-hmm. And today they're, they're, they're still phenomenal, um, absolutely phenomenal. Definitely Aria Pro was good, but one of the problems with Aria is that they started outsourcing very early, um, and this is like this. This explains what a rabbit hole it can be. Um, you really have to do your research. Uh, so Matsumoku, that factory, when they lost the contract to Greco, they d- there's some sort of connection there with Samic. So um, the Koreans started manufacturing a lot of ARIA Pro stuff and there was even Greco started going across to um, Korea as well okay. for some of their things. You've got to look out for um, the differences and spot the differences between a Korean and, and a Japanese model. Yep. Um, and it's really interesting because you look at those brands and, and obviously everybody jumping on the bandwagon at the moment and You know, I can't tell you how many times I've been selling something like a beautiful Samick, which is, you know, 100% Korean um, from the 80s with the script logo and the open book headstock. But people will balk at it the moment you say it's Korean, Mm -hmm. Um, even though it's a much better guitar than some of the early Japanese stuff. You know, what people don't realize and... You know, when I when I talk about that 80s sweet spot mm-hmm. is that pre-80s in Matsumoku, there, there was a lot of plywood okay <laughs> so, there's a lot of plywood you, you you know you talk about pancake bodies these are yep. like pancake stacks you know there's 10 layers of ply in there um, you pull apart one of the early strats and you pull the especially on the old ones you you, you pull pull off the um, pick guard. And just all this fiberboard comes flying right. out. It's rotten <laughs> fiberboard. And you realize, oh, God. And you have to, you, I had to make those mistakes um, very early getting into this. I didn't know that. There's no one telling you this stuff online. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of people jumping in and saying, oh, it's Japanese, made. It's the best. It's yeah, amazing. I've sure. read that. It. It's phenomenal. Yep. But it's really just it, a lot of it was garbage and, you know, you get entry level stuff for 400 bucks for a reason, you know, it's just not that great.
0: Man. I love it that you're, that you're just mining this whole Greco um, (laughs) niche. It's like a super niche. I mean, all these little areas are and, um, and that you are going next level with pickups. So um, we should talk about the tone library. What's, what's that
1: all about? (sighs) Um, The tone library started out as a, it was never going to be published, and it was never going to be anything. It, it was really just my own research to find the pickups that I wanted. Yeah. Um, the epitome of Japanese pickups, dry Zs. So the Grecos, I was chasing the Greco dry Z until I realized how expensive they actually are, at, you know, two and a half thousand US a pop. Um, so like I started sort of... A pair of... Like, What's that, sorry? Is that for a pair of a humbuckers? Pair of, yeah. Um, yeah. A matched pair will cost you two and a half thousand us. So, and that's just bananas. It's absolutely bananas for me. Um yeah, you can buy an original set of paths for yeah. what is it, under like about 10 grand or something these days. So I, I'd probably go the Gibson option if I had to pay five grand for, <laughs> <Right>. for <laughs> Japanese copies. Um, but yeah, I was looking for um, what they, they call dry 82s. So around that mint collection period um greco was, uh, was the, the super real and mint collection they had screaming 82 and dry 82 uh-huh. and the dry 82 was a a, a fujigen sort of spin-off of the dry z um it's not as good but no one's ever put them next to each other and okay I kind of, I went and bought a pair and I thought they were great. And then I bought another pair and they were completely different. Right. Okay. And so I went down this rabbit hole and I actually found a blog of this Japanese guy who is completely obsessed with Greco as well. And he's taken apart every single pair of pickups that he's ever had from Greco's. And he's got this huge list of whether that Alanco or whether they're ceramic and wow. there are pictures of how they were constructed. So I stumbled on that accidentally because someone was kind enough to post it on Facebook to me in direct message. Okay. And said, do not share this with anyone. Like it's, I was on all these Greco um, Facebook pages. Yeah. And there was a guy who ran the Greco Facebook page and he shut it down because there was too much work apparently, but I don't know if every niche is like this. I know cars are like this. Um, guitars seem to be like this, but there's a lot of train spotters who just, they want all the information for themselves and they want to keep all the information for themselves. And I found that the community wasn't really sharing and really accepting or you know sort of open arms. And I'd already bought about 10 pairs of pickups by this stage, all the different Grecos. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go and, and just start documenting these things for everyone and start talking about the history of them. Um, because this is the resource that doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. You, know, you you can find information about Japanese guitars. as a couple of really good blogs, um, but there's no resource whatsoever about pickups. And, you know, there are so many. Good Japanese pickups out there. That you know, if you're looking to modify your guitar, if you're if you're an 18 year old kid, and you want to get the sound of whatever whoever your idol is, um, but you don't have $300 for a you know for a set of boutique pickups, it's very very simple. You can buy a really good set of early Ibanez or early Maxon pickups or whatever it is. And get fantastic sounds out of them. So I guess how I got started was trying to decipher all of that, info, all of the information that's not available, and present it to people in a way in a way that they can understand and and see, you know, the tone on a. Um, it's kind of an experiment. I say that in in the uh-huh. tone library. It's not me trying to get the best tone possible. A lot of people will do that. A lot of people will spend five days trying to get, you know, they'll do a tone test or something of a pickup and they'll play with their settings forever. That's not what this is about. This is about literally documenting the sounds of these pickups in my rig on set. Presets. So oh. I've got four presets that I use. Yeah. Um. One is like a dirty blues kind of thing that ZZ Top. I've kind of gone for what I think most people might relate to. Sure. Um. I've gone for like an ACDC hard rock type thing, which clearly just a Marshall, um, uh, Van Halen style, Judas Priest style, heavy, re- heavy reverb, heavy delay, high gain kind of thing. And a thrash metal because that's what I enjoy. But Uh I use a spark, a positive grid spark amp. So every single time I know that it's going to give me exactly the same preset sound. Yeah, gotcha. And the only thing changing is the pickups.
0: Okay. Yep. That's a great
1: way to keep it tight. Yeah. Science experiment, right? You control the variables mm-hmm. to the point where the only thing that can be making a change is the thing that you're trying to study. Yeah, nice. Um, and knowing how that how these pickups react on those four spectrums, I guess, of gain and, and input, gives you a decent idea of how they're gonna how they're gonna react under a lot of different situations you know, <laughs> some of them get really wild and yeah. wooly, you know, really, <laughs> really loose at the top end and others just uh, uh, flat. So it, it's really, really kind of cool. Um, I'm only up to the third episode at the moment. Recorded eight, um, eight different sets of pickups so far. Um, it's a part-time thing as yeah. well. So, yeah, you know, it's, this is not my full time gig. <laughs> if it was, I'd be broke as hell. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a
0: passion project, you know. Oh, totally. Um, and that that's cool, man. I love that. And the videos are so well produced. Um, I know you were saying earlier, yeah, you, you threw yourself into learning video editing and stuff, but yeah, that takes forever. But the um the videos are great. I, I especially enjoyed the the one on the was it the Carlos Santana pickup or the one that Yeah, didn't... the Santana pickup. Yeah, yeah, that was
1: a really interesting one because <sighs> So I bought those at the beginning of 2020 um, SG70s. I had no idea what I wanted to do with them. It was before I was even doing the tone library, but they came with with a full harness, a matched pair. I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. One of the early SG's, great. Well, they were $50 US, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it's a no brainer to buy a set of pickups for some reason, wives don't understand that, <laughs> that it's a no brainer to spend $50 on something. So, like, what do you mean that's a no brainer? You've already got a hundred of those things. <laughs> right? oh, well, there we go. Um, yeah. And after a bit of research, I kind of realized that the, the, the Yamaha SG was developed over the period of three years really before they hit that sweet spot with the um, 2000 and it, I uncovered this story that probably everyone who's a Santana fan and everyone who's a Yamaha SG fan already knew that Yamaha sent um, Santana an SG-175 and it turned into the Buddha guitar and all those kind of things. But it made me realise that because it was such a short production period between the SG-50, 70, 90, 175, it's literally like the same six-month period. Right, right that the SG70 was you know, Yamaha's first ever a hot pickup um, in or well, first of a hot humbucker. So it made sense in my head that, well, that they're not going to be developing that many different pickups for these guitars. Mm-hmm. So pretty much it, it would have been a very similar pickup to what they sent Santana and he mm-hmm. rejected. So yeah, it kind of, that was a really cool episode for me because I, yeah. Dug into this history that I never knew about, and yeah. it actually gave me a lot of a bit more passion about the show, I guess, or the the series. It's it, it's sort of sparked a new direction for it as well, and trying to tell these stories rather than just a tone test. Yeah, um, for sure.
0: Yeah, I really enjoy that. I, I love hearing the background and then hearing someone blast on the pickups as well. Yeah, I think in each the- cheers and. Yeah,
1: you do. And I don't think enough people give context. Um, And unfortunately, I I don't know how much YouTube you watch, but unfortunately a lot of the YouTubers or guitar YouTubers these days are either just, you know, they're either just flexing their ability and and showing off Mm -hmm. um, and trying to stroke their egos or they are just peddling um, other brands they just review these brands for money and it, it, it's kind of lost its soul a bit. And it, it, I'm, I'm searching for stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's kind of nice to, to uncover a few of those stories. bit of a, you know, caveat, I can't play very well. And, you know, I am always looking for people to test these pickups and, and whatever. So, okay. If anyone listening, if you want to, if if you have a set of pickups, I can can see some pretty wild guitars behind you. So, you know, if you've got anything that you would want to dump a a set of humbuckers in, let me know. Um, The only thing that I would ask for in return is, you know, a a controlled recording, um, either direct input or, you know, mic'd up amp, um, and video footage of you playing, whatever it is. So, yeah, and any of your listeners as well, if they want to,
0: yeah, a set cool. of pickups
1: to try, <laughs> I've got a few. Yeah, how many have you got all up? Uh, nearly 70. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> they're not all pairs though. So pretty much, I mean, I can't noodle, so to speak, and I can't solo to save myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, it's a lack of talent and arthritis in my fingers combined. <laughs> probably more of a lack of talent than anything else. But um, yeah, most of them are bridge pickups. So right. gotcha. You know, and most of them are path copies as well. Okay. So if anyone, yeah, if anyone out there has a Les Paul, they want a hot rod. Nice, nice.
0: <laughs> more than happy to help. I've got. I hate to say, it, I've got so many single coils behind me.
1: Um, I know, but I can see a, a super strat behind you. Yeah, that yeah, that has a hum. That's um,
0: that's a that's a PAF Pro in there, which is to okay, date my favorite cool. humbuckers. They're not too hot; they're just nice yep. in that middle ground. So they clean up, but they can
1: get nasty. So, yeah, very nice, very nice. That's yeah, I, it's. I never. I, I again. I, I don't understand single coils. I, I, I mean, I understand how they work and yeah, I understand yeah. that Hendrix did amazing things and so does John Mayer, but uh, there is just, in my yeah, in my space yep. of music, yeah, in my listening, it just doesn't <laughs> exist, I guess.
0: <laughs> sure. This episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, a comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott, ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology, and the McNally Smith College of Music. I was one of the beta testers for the course and can say as a music educator, I was really impressed by the logical sequence of learning. The course has also been endorsed by players such as Brett Garson and Greg Cup. For more details, check out the links in our show notes. Hey, tell me about um, your guitar rescues, because
1: that's another really cool aspect of Guitar Street. That's actually how I started, to be honest. So 2019, just pre-pandemic, pre-world changing. Yeah. um, So pre-pandemic 2019, I was looking at getting myself a few guitars. Um, And so I got onto the Japanese auctions and I'll talk about Japanese auctions a bit later because that's a whole nother rabbit hole. Um, but I found all the, I didn't realize how cheap these things were. So on the auctions, I have these junk status Mm -hmm. and, um, inverted commas, junk status. It's, um, it's the term that they use for any damaged goods. Uh So anything that doesn't work, anything that's rusty or or anything. And I just started rolling the dice thinking, oh yeah, uh, I'll see what, I'll see what $50 will get me, you know, with this with right. this junk guitar. It turns up, a few of them turned up and they were just, I, I can't even explain. I mean, you have to watch some of the videos you have. <laughs> um, there's one SG that turned up, it was a Thompson copy, um, bolt on neck. And it, I called it Let There Be Rust. And it was a three-part series. It took me forever to get back together because it was... Ju- I mean, it was almost like the wood was rusting. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, was, it was so bad. I mean, uh, I, every single bolt fell apart when I was pulling it apart. Um, everything would just disintegrated when I touched it. The, the headstock um, wing fell off. It was, I just... This, it literally was a garbage. The neck (laughs) pocket fell apart when I pulled it out. It was just, so I had to rebuild this thing and I started, I just went, you know, I'm going to rescue it. And that's where this, I'm going to rescue this guitar and give it a new life. I ended up giving it away. I ended up donating it to, um, to a girl in, in country Victoria, um, in Gigari i was watching the abc one night and i saw this thing on the Gigari music muster okay um and you know i thought oh that's awesome i wonder if they know anyone who wants a guitar oh that's cool I, I knew i i didn't want to sell this thing you know it was like rescued it was it was a plywood body it was it was one of those purchases where you go ah oh. Not all Japanese guitars are good, are right? They? And there's like, and this one sat under someone's house in a flood zone. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> it was yeah. So it that's where it just started, and I was out of work for nine months during um, during COVID. Okay. So it it got. I just threw myself into that as a way to, I, I guess you know, keep my mind going and keep things happening. And I started doing videos and I learned how to, how to edit videos and how to shoot them. And I asked friends, you know, how do I do this? How do I shoot? What lenses do I need? All those kind of things. Um, how do I record because I'd never recorded my own, um, playing before all those kind of things I I just picked up and it just sort of gathered speed to the point where by the time I was working again, I had about 20 absolute basket case guitars right. sitting in my front room. And i was like, oh God, what have I done? What have <laughs> I done? Um, and it's this hole that I've dug myself that it just, I, I'm not a hippie. I'm not a greenie, but I hate the fact that there is this really huge industry around Chinese cheap garbage Guitars. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there is like $150 you can buy a brand new guitar that has, you know, probably um de-homed an orangutan or something. You know, it's like it really, I, I don't understand why people are out there buying this cheap garbage when you could just you could buy an old instrument that works beautifully. And so I kind of took that to heart and went, you know what, and, and I don't understand relicing. I know a lot of people get it, but so I kind of just, I have this thing where it's like rescued, not relict. It's, I'd prefer to rescue something than, sure. than relic it. Um, and that's and that's a whole I,
0: movement, isn't it, right now, in that we've become so used to disposable um, products that we would once fix. Um, yes. Yeah, but we've we've, as a Western society, we've moved away from that in a lot of ways, yeah.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And it's there. There are so many, especially you know, there's a generational shift at the moment. You know, where kids of today they 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 buy old furniture and they do it up and they repurpose things. And I I can't remember. I think it's called upcycling or Mm -hmm. something. Yeah, Yeah. I'm not. I'm not into it. As I say, like I'm not a hippie trying to save the world. It's just I don't understand why you would go out and you know want to. Add to you know yeah. greenhouse gases and all that kind of stuff with the paint and the manufacturing and the transportation of these gotcha. instruments when there is a beautiful instrument that's 50 years old, yeah, yeah. that could that could be some kid's instrument. So, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, I love it. that's kind of where I got that's where I got started for sure. Yep. And what, what are some of the other guitars
0: you've rescued? So, there was the, the let there be rust SG, but what else have you? brought back
1: um, yeah, so there was captain um, Greco LP he he was a pirate so <laughs> <laughs> there's I've got a blog post on it it just it was a black Les Paul custom and for some reason the 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 front pickup had shat itself and so the Japanese owner had plugged the front pickup cavity with black um, with black wood And so it looked like it had an eye patch. So it kind of, (laughs) I called it a pirate, you know, it was like, okay, you're the pirate LP. And it was, it was horrible. The the guy was clearly a punk rocker. Um, He'd taken 800 grit sandpaper and tried to matte finish this beautiful black Paul custom. Um, He carved his name into the back and all these kind of really terrible things that you just don't want to do to an instrument. Um, So I brought that back you know, wet, wet and dry sanded it all the way through to a beautiful luster and redid all the electronics, refretted it, um, there were no frets. Um, but definitely the biggest project was a 1975 SB55 Yamaha base.
0: Okay. So these, see, yeah.
1: they're awesome. I call that spade head. And if you know what an SB55 looks like, you understand why I call it spade head. Yeah, it it yeah. literally looks like it's got a shovel for a face. <laughs> um, and they're the precursor to the super base. You know, they're the precursor mm. to one of the most successful bases and one of the best bases of all time. And yeah. it's got this beautiful NATO wood. So NATO is like a mahogany. Um, and the Japanese were early adopters of that. Okay. Um, and so the grain is just phenomenal. Uh, I can't even explain like if anyone bothers to go onto the YouTube channel that you'll see that grain in all its glory. But again, another, you know, another punk rocker from Japan, some kid had covered it in black house paint. Um, there were no frets left. Uh, none of the electronics, um, worked, you know, it, it was just, it was One of those things where you look at it and go, oh, some 12-year-old kid thought that was so cool. Right. (laughs) But I know underneath that is a beautiful instrument. So it took me about a week um, because the orbital sander died and I had to sand all this house paint off. I tried a heat gun. I tried everything. Um, And I got so frustrated with that rescue that it ended up taking about a year to complete. But once it did... Like once I got it done, it's it's probably I, I think it's one of those things where you look at it and go, you know what? Like I'm proud of that bit of work because I'm not a guitar tech, I'm certainly not a luthier, yeah. Um, and it's just something that you do as a hobby. But to be able to give that instrument and especially historically, what an amazing piece of history for Yamaha that is to bring something like that back yeah. and. Yeah, there's some guy in um, Canberra at the moment who loves that bass. So it's, it's yeah, it's wonderful.
0: That's very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I love that series as, as well as the uh, as well as the tone library. That was, um, like I said, that was the first thing I think I noticed you were doing. So you you mentioned about importing stuff from Japan and, and going through the auctions. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. What what can you what can you share to to would be rescuers? Yeah.
1: If you know, I mean, if if anyone, if any of your listeners want a Japanese guitar, um, they're probably all visited a, a couple. Of, and I'm not going to name the guys, but there, you know, there are a couple of big music shops here that 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 sell them. Um, a couple of them are very, you know, massively inflated prices. You do need to do. I, I get that you need to do a setup and a service and all that stuff. Like yeah. oh, I'm on the cold face, I get what work goes into these things so i I understand the markup and the i guess the idea um
0: yeah the the overall market has just gone bonkers as well so yeah the
1: the market has gone absolutely crazy um you know a a greco eg 500 in the 80s say let's just say mint collection um you're looking at between 1200 and 1500 australian for that like just flat there's No getting around it. You're not going to get under $1,200 these days. Um, You'll buy it in Japan on the auctions for around about at the moment where are we september 2021 i'll just time time stand stand (laughs) that because the market is going so crazy yeah yeah um yeah you pick up pick up one of those for between 350 and 450 us wow um then you ship it here so you you know you're looking at another 200 us 250 us for shipping Mm -hmm. it'll be landed for somewhere around about eight nine hundred dollars okay yeah um yeah so there's a solid saving, and especially if you're looking for, you know, my unicorn, which I'm I'm currently building at the moment, the violin burst, um, what they call it. It's kind of a cross between an, a, a, an antique violin burst and a tobacco burst that Greco did. It's just stunning. Like, it's probably, I, I think it's the best finish ever on a guitar. Oh. Um, but there's a premium to pay f- for that finish because okay. they're, they're very rare they only come up every now and again. You spend somewhere between $1,500 and $2,000 for them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you can get one of those for under $1,000 landed here. So if, yeah, if you're looking at, if you want one of those, it's really easy. Um, you don't need to know anyone locally. You don't need to know how to speak Japanese. Um, there are proxy services that will bid for you. So there is a proxy service I use called Rinkia. Uh, r-i-n-k-y-a uh rikyo um, there's also zen market and jaws there are a number of number of proxy services and you can buy anything in japan um, they do the bidding for you it just it's an automatic obviously an api plug-in to the website um, to yahoo japan and and um rat or something but you put in your bid just like you would on eBay. You're either the winner or you're not. Rather than the guitar being sent straight to you, it goes to a warehouse where the proxy um, will check it. They will actually check it as it comes in. Um, The guys in the warehouse will look over the guitar and make sure it is what the seller said it was. People in Japan, um, anyone who's ever been to Japan, they know people are really nice, honorable and honest. So it's, I've never been screwed over by any of the sellers in Japan. And so you can trust that market. Um, Then they'll pack it up for you and they'll ship it. Um, You know, they, they know how to ship guitars. Obviously that is something that's pretty nerve wracking having a set neck Les Paul sent from Japan to Australia. Um, Set neck guitars are expensive to get here because at the moment EMS the um, local postage that's closed to Australia. Okay. Um, they've only just opened up again to the US. Um, but once that opens up again, it'll be a lot cheaper. Um, you know, if you are looking at, and one of the things I do, and you know, I'm not giving away any of my trade secrets because I don't make any money off this. To be brutally honest, um, I don't. It's not. I'm not doing it to make money. Um, if you're buying a, say, a Fender with a bolt-on neck or an Ibanez with a bolt-on neck, you put it into a sea shipment. So it comes by boat. It'll take two months,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it'll cost you seventy-five dollars to ship. So okay. you know you can pick up these ridiculous, ridiculous um, bargains. So mid '70s, uh, right? But I'll show you in a second. But uh, mid '70s, Holly. Um, Strap thirty dollars US. Right. So you you pay the commission on top of that for the proxy service. Then you go about fifty five dollars shipping, landed. It's under two hundred dollars. Um, market value of that guitar is about five hundred. Okay. So wow. effectively half price of, of what you've got, you know. And it, it's a problem with for people with you know gas syndrome <laughs> like me. Oh yeah, for like, sure. All of a sudden, you end up with all these guitars that you shouldn't—you don't have space for. <laughs> but you know, a, a, the amount of awesome guitars you can buy there as well. So Fernandez and Jacksons and all these awesome shred, shred machines—they're um, so cheap. Wow! They're just so cheap. Yeah. So good tip, if man. Anyone, uh, I'll send you a link, um, and you can put it up on, on you know you can put it up on the show notes yeah, or something like that, yeah, awesome. um, do. and just you know how how to get into it. There's a couple of YouTubers who have done a how to mm-hmm. how to buy on Zen Market and all that kind of stuff, and it, it really is it's great. But that's probably one of the reasons why the price of Greco's and things like that have gone up as well, right? Okay. Because the information of how to get these guitars is starting to to leak out and. Eh, democracy let yep. people let people buy it yeah 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 cool
0: that's awesome Andrew man I love these stories I love uh how you doing it what
1: what, what is it's a rabbit hole <laughs> it's such a rabbit <laughs> hole
0: I was sort of going to ask what's next on the horizon for guitar street but it seems like you've got
1: your hands full already but have you got other plans. or yeah. There's twenty guitars in this front room that I'm sitting in that are not mine. Okay. Um so next for guitar street, look, I have just released shirts. I'm trying to pay for the pickups via, you know, merchandise and stuff. Yeah, and I'm cool. trying to I'm trying to make money that way because selling guitars it, it, it it's a hobby that pays for itself. It's yeah. not something that you can I mean you know, Tim Green from Mojo Stone Boxes, he's done really well making yep. a fantastic business out of it. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that. It's not not my aim. So I'm just trying to have fun. The thing that I've just started right now is my own personal project. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got Gus. Gus is a 1980s Argus. So that's one of the brands I didn't talk about before. Okay. Um, really awesome so Kiowa they wanted a top tier um guitar brand and actually the the guy who set it up went on to set up ESP right Right. so he went on to set up ESP and then Navigator came out of ESP so you've got these huge brands Argus was the the beginning of that and so they are just beautiful they 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 had a production run of about 2 years mm-hmm. um complete flop absolute <laughs> absolute flop no one in japan wanted to spend um i think at the time it was 150,000 yen like in the 80s one and a half grand U S okay. like t- today that translate here yeah, about one and a half a thousand U S right. in the eighties. There was no Japanese kid out there who was going to spend that kind of money yeah. on a okay. Japanese guitar when he could pick up a Gibson yeah sure. for the same money. So the, that brand died, but what they created were phenomenal. So I've, I found a husk, Um, you know, obviously it's got no hardware and it's just, no finish, and I'm going to build it to my own specs. Nice. We're going to take we're going to take some of these pickups um, yep. that I've been trawling through, um, yep. and I'll drop them in there. And so weekly, I've given myself a challenge. I bought the thing in 2019 in June. Yeah. Um. For, for my birthday. Nice. And it, it sat there for two years, <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? It's time. It's time to do something with this. So the goal every week I've committed. I'm um, on episode three this week, um, and every week I have to give myself one hour. It's kind of like training, you know. If you're trying to lose weight or something, you got to like every single day you to do this. Yeah. So every week I give myself one hour. I can work on the guitar for one hour, um, and I can shoot one episode really quick and nasty, not mm-hmm. the high production value stuff. Just do yep. an iPhone camera um and you know shot on the dslr with the with the camera footage uh, sorry the guitar footage but the goal is by christmas i will have my argus les paul yeah. <laughs> that i you know that i've always wanted so that's what's Excellent. next um aside from all the other rescues and all those kind of things as well
0: yeah cool man fantastic yeah. love it andrew and um yeah you mentioned the t-shirts big shout out and i'll, I'll put all the links in the show notes for that as well but I, I don't know what's more niche or cool or nerdy or all of those things than a t-shirt emblazed with a, a, a very particular Greco pickup
1: man. <laughs> <laughs> it best. is it is so niche and surprisingly they're they're selling because the people who who get it get yeah, it. Yeah, and yeah. It, it, it really it's it's one of those things where I you know I'm a nerd about a few things yeah. and bands especially but sure. there's you know if if you are into that pickup there or that guitar then you'll understand that that pickup came from that guitar yeah. and it's cool so that's awesome man. it is very niche <laughs> to get stopped in the street
0: well i guess we're in lockdown at the moment but like uh, yeah. I, I reckon you will get stopped in the street and people go oh yeah the Santana pickup yeah i know that
1: <laughs> one day, one day, hopefully. Um, I mean, the new the Yamaha SG-1, um, I just released that the other day. It's very, It's been popular, which is good. That's great. Um, It's going to give me an idea that people actually want a bit more than just the pickup as well. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, you know. Um, I think that had uh, Carlos from- on it as well. Yeah, if so, that that'll that'll get copyright infringements left, right, and centre if I put if I do put Carlos on there. But yeah, it'll be the uh, lawsuit T-shirt. Exactly, I'll end up being sued by someone, which is great. Yeah,
0: that's like all the great Japanese guitar companies. You um actually were joking about that term lawsuit because that's a controversial term, isn't it? Can you explain why why that is? Ah, that,
1: that thing is a hot potato. All right. So <laughs> the lawsuit era. Um, look, I, I'm a word nerd. Once upon a time I was a journo. So by, by definition, lawsuit era, if someone puts era on the end, they mean the period of time. You know, it's like the golden era, the yeah. lawsuit era. Okay. Lawsuit era for Japanese guitars was somewhere between 1970 to 1985, really. The actual lawsuit itself was 1977. So what happened is that Gibson noticed, Fender noticed what was going on in, in Japan. Obviously, with the local market, their sales would have gone through the floor because all of a sudden they had locally produced mm. um, guitars that were, were blatant copies with the open book headstock, which is a copyright yeah. uh, or a trademark. Um Of Gibson. So Gibson ended up filing a lawsuit against Ibanez um, in 1977. They settled out of court um, and Ibanez changed their headstock. Look, historically, it's one of the best things that ever happened to Ibanez. Look at what ended up happening to them afterwards and their alignment with Steve Vai. Um, The other thing, the other awesome thing that came out of that period was that Fender realized how good Fuji Gem was. They started producing these Fender Japan. Yeah, um, yep. And look, if you're ever in the market for a Strat, I 100% Fender Japan, you know, crafted in Japan. MIJ is sort of the eighties models and the CIJ crafted in Japan is the next um, sort of mid nineties version, I think. Um, Those are just astronomical guitars they're just so beautiful so the quality is so much better but yeah if you look if you use the term lawsuit if you're trying to sell a greco and you get online and say you know lawsuit guitar blah 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 in your description you'll get torn to shreds (laughs) people just Uh, Yeah, like train spotters and and people who are into things, niches on niches on niches, seem to be really angry online these days and they just (laughs) want to pick pick a fight about everything and lawsuit era.
0: It's like comic book guy on The Simpsons. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) No, this
1: is not... (laughs) <laughs> perfect lawsuit and and yeah it's it's you, if you say something's a lawsuit you're a guitar and someone comes on and says well it's not an ibanez yeah yeah you can turn around and say yes but it, i said era i didn't say it was a lawsuit guitar there is no gotcha. such thing as a lawsuit guitar according to comic book guy
0: <laughs> good clarification there awesome hey andrew so like i said i'll put up all the show links but do you want to um right. do you want to tell us the best places to find you as well
1: yeah, absolutely. Look, um, guitarstreet.co um, is our website. Everything goes through there. So I feed okay. the T-shirts, all the latest blogs, um, the latest uh, video episodes from YouTube. You can find it there. So if, you, if rather than searching on YouTube, you can just head straight to guitarstreet.co and it's all there. Um, if you're on Instagram, at guitarstreet.co as well. Excellent. Great. Well, Andrew, thanks
0: so much awesome. for joining us. Been so cool to hear the Matt, stories. Thank you. And uh, I'll be yeah, following with interest, as I
1: have been already. Amazing. Look, thanks so much for inviting me on as well, Matt. It was a uh, real surprised when you reached out, so I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, cool, man. Oh, my pleasure. This is my brand of nerdiness and uh, and coolness <laughs>
1: and coolness. Nerd no out. I, I love nerding out. So thank you for the chance to to ramble on to someone who hasn't fallen asleep on me. No way, man. This is, this is our
0: kind of story. Awesome. Thanks, man. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right, there you go. Andrew Mara of Guitar Street. I love those stories. I love finding about how certain companies were formed, um, how they were received, and how that changes over time. And now, as we've just spent the last while speaking about that whole vintage made in Japan guitar market, is such a, a cool uh, niche and, and part of the market. My Thanks to Fretboard Biology for sponsoring today's show. Please check out the links in the show notes. All right, thank you so much for joining me for the Guitar Speak podcast. We'll be back with more interviews next weekend, midweek. We've got our iconic album series, and hope you can join me for all of those. All right, I'll leave you in the words of the great Michael Schenker, German guitar legend extraordinaire, who once told me, "Keep rocking, keep on rocking, keep on rocking, indeed." I'll catch you next time. Bye now.